This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by the National Biscuit Company, better known as Nabisco. A company that believes its workers should be able to work 12 hours a day without getting overtime. Uh, and a company that makes some really great treats. It's Nabisco. I'm John Bonham. And I'm... Ginger Baker. And this is Drum Buddies. Finally, bro, we're cool. (laughs) Oh, this is... (laughs) Full disclosure, mm. folks, this is a pretty indulgent episode for my buddy Tim and me. Yeah. Um we're big we're big skinheads. <laughs> Wait. We're big okay. We're big drumheads. <laughs> you know, both of those work and both of those don't work. We're s- we love drums. <laughs> we love slapping the skins. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh Man, I love watching you play the drums, bro. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> uh, to get a compliment from you on the air is a large part of why I do this. And but I try no, to look. And guys, I try to pay you at least one or two or three <laughs> per app. Right, I keep coming back for it. <laughs> look, though. Okay, mm-hmm. Tim and I, we love drums. Yeah. Um, well, we love music, don't we? We love we well, love songs. That has become clear, I think. Right. But uh, I have a just a very deep respect for drums and drummers. Mm. And Tim, I don't want to out you here, but you are quite the skinhead yourself, aren't you? I wish you would stop calling me that. <laughs> um. But guilty as charged, bro. I uh, I am a percussionist, you could say. That's right. Uh, right. Well, okay. Let's enough enough dilly dallying, enough paradiddling. <laughs> uh, we're talking about drums today. Uh, the uh, we we've known this has been in our back pocket for a while because um, you, you know, well, I play the drums. So we knew someday we would talk about drums. But uh, the reason we're finally doing it is because a, a drumming great uh, died this week. That is Charlie Watts, the drummer for the Rolling Stones. Listen to those quarter notes, dude. <laughs> Just driving straight forward. He's just going for it, isn't he? Oh, that's our Charlie right there. That's Charlie Watts. Born June 2nd, 1941, died August 24th, 2021, age 
80. Revered as one of the great rock and roll drummers, Matt, before we uh, memorialize this guy too much, what's your familiarity with the Stones? Well, Tim, if I can sort of destroy all credibility I have very quickly here, Mm -hmm. in the interest of honesty, I have never actually... I've never really listened to a Rolling Stones song on purpose. <laughs> so, so, you, <laughs> so just sort of, if it's just playing, you'll you'll hear it. Oh yeah, I mean, I know. I mean, the the Stones are one of the the big dad bands and the big. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, Lynchpins, and they were fighting with the Beatles oh, if, for a little bit. If you're a and, dad, this is a huge, uh, yeah, personality trait, yeah. But but look, here here's why I am okay with that, uh, with that particular flaw in my own uh, knowledge base. It's because we're not talking about the Stones here, mm. and we're not even necessarily talking about Charlie. No, right? that's true. Um, but I, I will say, I do know a lot about Charlie Watts and I've read a bunch of stuff about him and have uh, seen some interviews. I just don't necessarily care about (laughs) a blues band that turned into a British rock and roll band. I'm sorry. Come on. It's 2021. Okay. I'm a young man. All right. Well, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to lecture you here. I'm, (laughs) I, I will say that, um, Here's can I offer my only Rolling Stones take? Yeah, please, please. Simply, uh, you know how dads will argue, uh, like one of the one of the big dad talking points is who is better, the Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Like, are you mm-hmm. a Stones dad or a Beatles dad? Mm-hmm. Um, that's point. That's a stupid argument. Why are you even arguing about that? They're two totally different bands. That makes no sense. That's like it absolutely makes no that's sense. That's like it's like, are you a Picasso dad or <laughs> uh like the Sopranos a Monet dad. dad? No, not even a Monet <laughs> dad. Like just it's just totally different. It's different art. I yeah, understand. I just yes. it, I don't yes. even know why you would why are you comparing the two? Because they were playing around the same time? Yes. Is that that's all? That's why. Okay. Tim. Yep. That's dumb. <laughs> I just think that's dumb. That's all. That's my whole thing. Okay. Well, worth saying. Uh, is that sort of <laughs> all you know about the stones? Well, no. I can I, um I I I know that they uh are extremely talented and they 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 were revolutionary in their own way and they were hard partying and uh living it up big time over there in jolly old england (laughs) and uh what i do know which is interesting is that charlie watts unlike say Mick jagger uh was not really living it up and you know like peeing on the sidewalk um Charlie was kind of a straight-laced dude. Yeah, he, from all I've heard, he seems to have been, I don't want to say a square, 
but just yeah. not necessarily uh, going going nuts with Keith and Mick. Yeah, decidedly not a very rock and roll guy. Um, he was a jazz head. Actually, like Charlie Parker was his main influence. In the 1980s, he toured with uh, the Charlie Watts Quintet, a jazz group uh, that he founded. So uh, his first love was jazz music, though you couldn't really, I would argue, he, he didn't really let that influence his playing. He was a rock and roll drummer for the Stones, but um, his style and the way he carried himself was decidedly not very rockin'. Not very cool. <laughs> he was he was not a very cool dude. Right. And I and for that, I give him a lot of points. Oh, absolutely. I say good on you, Charlie Watts. Yep. Uh and he was a he was a great drummer. Um but Matt, the question I kinda wanna ask in this episode is what makes a really what makes a great drummer? All right, Tim. You're just gonna lay that on me like that, mm-hmm. um, because because every um, every piece that's been written this week to remember Charlie uh, is reverent about how great he was as a percussionist. But what made him great? Uh, and, and if you read, they'll just tell you, you know, oh, he had this stamina and he could just drive a track forward. Well. What does that mean? Yes. Right. Okay, Tim. We got to be careful here. We are walking a a straight and narrow path. And (laughs) if we divert from it at all, Uh this episode is going to go into any number of directions, I can't imagine. But, But, to your question, I guess I will say that the absolute um the hallmark of a great drummer is mm-hmm. to put it vaguely taste and to put it a little less vaguely um being playing appropriately for the situation uh-huh and i know tim that you know what i mean by that so why don't you yep. go ahead and tell me and our and our listeners what I mean by that? Okay, playing to the situation you're in uh, is pretty much the most important lesson that a drummer can learn. So much of drumming is, uh, and speaking, sorry, a lot of a lot of what I have to say here this week. But is going to be kind of from experience, right? Hey, man, so, look, it's not your fault that you are a good drummer and that you know what you're talking about. Um, it's it may be a little annoying to people who think you're too cool, um, <laughs> but I think our listeners at this point we've established a rapport, and they're going <laughs> sure. to respect the fact that you are okay, a very talented drummer in your own right you're no charlie watts well no i mean you're 
several decades younger and alive. But, <laughs> but, guys, listen, listen, ear buddies, mm. audience, uh, whatever Tim says right now, that's the gospel truth. I will, I would take that to the bank. He knows what he's talking about. Hit it, Tim. So, when you decide you're going to learn how to play the drums, the very first thing you have to figure out is the motor functioning. You have to teach your limbs how to do the things you want them to do. You have two arms and two legs, and you have to get them to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. That's, like, the hard part. Once you can, once you have the quote-unquote limb independence and the ability to um, perform uh, any number of complex rhythms and polyrhythms and combinations of uh, complicated beats, that's when taste comes into play. That mm. is when decision making comes into play. That that. That's where you call the herd. Mm-hmm. Any Joe Schmo can get good, I think, at the the motor functioning of drumming. I mean, maybe not anybody, but you can you can have a technically great drummer who can play dazzling drum solos, um, play very very fast, very very impressive things. But if it's not tasteful, if it doesn't match the music that's played, then why would you want to listen to it? So ta- let's take Charlie Watts for an example. This is a guy who loved jazz. And I, I can relate to this because jazz is also, as it happens, uh, kind of my first love in music. Wow, Tim, this is a real Tim episode, isn't it? I yeah. love it. I'm just so, going to sit back sorry. and listen. No, I love this. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so jazz... And funk are really where I, uh, as a drummer, uh, uh, kind of find my love. Ever heard of Tower of Power, bud? Oh, and how. This is David Garibaldi on the drums. Tower of Power from the album Tower of Power. Listen to how complicated that beat is. The snare drum is everywhere. The symbol's here. But the symbol matches the bass. And the horns. Mm. It's a very, very complex beat, but it's supposed to be complex. And when you're coming up and you're, you know, a hotshot, cool kid, uh, and you're in 
eighth and ninth and tenth tenth grade and you're feeling pretty cocky and you're getting good at drums and you want to get better and better i mean funk music is is a great forest to get lost in so this is kind of where i was cutting my teeth i really wanted to get good at playing funk i love this stuff because it's complicated it's hard these beats are complicated full of these accents that you need to hit Mm. and they're all over the place these these horn spots that that you just need to pop it's nothing like a straightforward rock and roll beat and it's not supposed to be if you brought this flair to a rolling stones song you'd be laughed off the stage right oh absolutely this is i mean this is in the wrong context which is the stones yeah. or i mean a lot of a lot of bands this uh would get you fired right i yeah, mean right. this this is too much you are making yourself center stage but you hear this yeah. particular song and so many funk songs uh and so many jazz songs where it's part of the whole right and mm-hmm. that uh, I know we're you know driving at the same point here, but that is what I mean by taste, and that is what I mean by playing what is appropriate for the situation. This song would not be the same song, dare I say, if he was playing, you know, a, just a, a standard kind of kick snare hi hat beat. Yeah, David Garibaldi has crazy chops, right, and he has this amazing limb independence so he can play this really tough polyrhythmic beat I bet you a guy like Charlie Watts can do this too but he doesn't have to in the Rolling Stones so that's often the case with like the true great rock drummers and pop drummers uh, is that if you get them in a in a studio setting or you get them in a live performance setting, they can go off. Yes, but they're not supposed to. Right. In that's not, that's not the point. In general, um, I mean they're they're playing sort of below their pedigree, below their pay grade, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. But to that, I say, uh, amazing. We should pay you yep. more because. To be able to to go in and well, it, it's it's a it's an interesting mm, split, yeah. Because on the one hand, a good drummer, you go in and you hear the song and you hear what the band needs, and you must become the backbone of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you are sort of in service to whatever song that they're playing. On the other hand, uh, what you do is going to create the backbone of that song, right? So yep. you are, I mean, this is this is putting it a little bit too heavily, but you are in charge as a drummer. Like, if you start playing a double-time beat, man, uh, the band's following you. Like, you are calling the shots, and yep. uh, it's it's, I mean, and again, that's what makes 
the greats. Um, the greats. That's what gets you on the Rolling Stones' hundred best drummers, and what gets you uh, articles in the New York Times when you die. Asking this question, what makes a great drummer great? Very, very often, the thing that you need to do is play a straightforward rock beat. Bass drum on one and three, snare drum on two and four. Boom. Yep. Snare. Yep. Boom, boom, snare. There's a boom, there's a very snare. interesting um, video. Um, Stuart Copeland, who I will go on record as saying is perhaps my favorite drummer. He was the drummer for The Police. Yep. Um, he did a drum clinic, I mean, years ago. Maybe even before I was born, who knows. Um, but he did this drum clinic and he said, I'm, I'm going to show everybody uh, I'm going to demonstrate something that very few modern rock drummers can do and for the next roughly two minutes he played that exact beat that you just mentioned Tim he played just a rock beat yeah. uh, no fills and there was a guy and that was a guy who could do these crazy reggae beats oh yeah like I mean he he was nuts he was so yeah. good at what he was doing he was innovative in his hi-hat work in his reggae work in his adding different uh, percussion elements to his his drum set um, mm. clearly knew what he was doing but he sat there for two minutes as an example and and played just kick hi-hat snare uh, downbeat and backbeat and that was all it was. And you know what? That holds up because that is yeah. so difficult to do. Let me share one more example of someone I consider one of the really great drummers. And Matt, this is full of synergy uh, having to do with uh, a, a recent episode, actually. You're going to love this. Are you ready for this? I doubt it. <laughs> Ever heard the name Steve Gadd? I have. Okay. He uh he's a session drummer. He played for everybody. Uh still plays a lot. Um he made his name with Steely Dan. Uh he was on like the Asia sessions in Steely Dan. Yeah, he was he was like a massive like studio drummer, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. He's like every every big like singer songwriter in the seventies. It was Steve Gadd in the studio on drums, including Paul Simon in uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Man. And talk about finesse and really interesting drumming right here. Ooh. Oh, like does it is, is that? Oh, uh, Tim, doesn't that just? I I'm embarrassed to say that I let a, a Paul Simon fact slip by here. I did not know that Steve Gadd was the drummer on that, and like that's that in itself. Although it's not like uh, you know world famous top ten. Uh, drum rhythm or fill that is iconic. I mean, oh yeah, the the kick snare hi hat 
work and with a little tambourine and then he hits a tom every now and then mm. that's magnificent and it's it's superb it's not distracting it's in you know then, yep and he comes in right here just classic easy beat right here hop on the bus Gus you don't need to discuss much just drop off the key yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, Steve Gadd is someone who um, advocates hugely for the teaching of rudiments to young drummers. Rudiments being like flams, paradiddles, um, these techniques that sort of the building blocks of good drum technique that every young drummer should learn. And that's what you're hearing right here. To make you smile again. These are, I mean, it's like, it's textbook good drumming, and I just love hearing it. It's like, ugh, it's inspiring. Like, if I had become a music teacher, I would play this for every fifth grader and be like, this could be you. <laughs> no, I, I think, like, that is a brilliant example. Realized you probably was right, there must be. 50 ways to leave your lover 50 ways to leave your lover Steve Gadd um, as I said is on every singer-songwriter's album uh, through the 70s into the 80s into the 90s how about Edie Brickell uh, who you may know uh, is married to Paul Simon you don't even have to try Steve Gadd drummed on all her stuff, too. And listen to this very, very, very simple beat and the taste he displays here. songs I feel like that illustrates why a guy like Steve Gadd is a great drummer capital G capital D like he knows what to play and when to play it and that actually takes me to kind of my last point for this episode because Matt we could talk about this forever and ever yeah we may do another episode or two on this just I mean we'll yeah honestly <laughs> but I think and I suspect you agree with me the role of great drummers is shrinking rapidly in the modern music industry oh, before our very eyes boy uh so this is something that I feel very qualified to have a hot take on Tim, so yeah, I've I have been blabbering on and on. No, so no, no, no. This is look. It doesn't matter how long we talk before the ad break. People like us, <laughs> and they're going to listen to what we have to say. 
All right? Don't feel bad. Okay. Back yourself. Thank you. It's all good. And uh, thank, you know, what, Tim, thanks, thank you uh, for <laughs> for all of that. That was mm-hmm. uh, edifying, and it's great to learn stuff together, and it's great to learn mm-hmm. stuff as an Ear Buddies community. So just appreciate you, man. Thanks, buddy. That being said, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, folks, I'm not a drummer. However, something I do every single day of my life, and, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to say I'm pretty good at it, is program drums. Yeah. What does that mean, you may be asking? Okay, <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Uh, programming drums is when you are in the studio or you're on your little computer, as I often am, and uh, what you have... A little MacBook. Right, like a MacBook maybe or like a, a new MacBook with a big old screen <laughs> And you've got a lot of software on there. You've got a lot of samples, a lot of libraries that you can pick different sounds from. What you don't mm-hmm. have is a real drum kit or a real drummer. Okay. So right. what I am doing and what I say, I say I, uh, we could talk about any other producer from the last, yeah. you know, 20 30 years yeah. what we are all doing what they are all doing right. it's hardly just you know yeah. right? this is i didn't invent this guys wish i had but <laughs> uh what they're doing is selecting sounds such as a snare hit a hi-hat <laughs> uh you know whether it's open or or partially closed or or uh, foot pedal or a kick drum or uh, one two three toms all the cymbals all of that stuff is available as a sample to any producer worth his or her salt right everybody mm-hmm. has those um, and so you know what you don't need is a drummer yeah why Tim why as a producer, would I look up on LinkedIn, reach out to, uh, hire, yep, and work with, and then pay a real drummer if I have all of the sounds that this drummer would play at my fingertips? Right, because and and because some some bastard drummer out there sat on a drum kit at Apple Studios or whatever mm-hmm. and played all these beautiful samples into a microphone yep uh to be forever captured uh so that guys like you you could uh could uh, program and no longer require his services. Yep. Now here's here's the thing. The dilemma. I'm 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 being an old man by act, acting like this is act, acting accusatory. That's okay. I, you I, you get one per season. Yeah. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, the dilemma here is drummers have basically the the great drummers simplified themselves out of existence in a way. Yep. 
That's correct. And yeah. As they sh- as they should have, right? I mean, we don't want pop music to have obscene drum solos and outrageous, you know, ghost notes and weird r- roughs and paradiddles and goofy beats and stuff. That would it would be obnoxious, but great music is so often very very simple to play. You don't have to hire anyone to play that. It's a beautifully simple beat. It's a tough spot for drummers to be in. What are the great drummers to do? I, where do they go? I mean, I guess, do they just hold weird, like, complicated drum solo clinics and, you know, show off for each other now? I don't know. Well, I also don't know, Tim, but I think... And I don't mean this even really as a joke. I think what they do is they die. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's actually true. And I'm not I'm not at all saying I'm not at all saying that <laughs> that every good drummer in the world is you know 75 years old and on his last legs. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've talked about Travis Barker, but Travis Barker, yeah. who I actually consider a, like, I mean, he's an all-timer, love him or hate him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what he did? And I mentioned this episodes ago, but he recorded himself playing his little drum kit so that other people could use it. If I want a sound, hmm. uh, if yeah. I want Travis Barker's snare sound... um. It is at it. my fingertips. Yeah. So, so yeah. why, you know, like, I mean, why bring a real person in? Nobody is doing that. And no one's going to set up an entire drum kit and all the microphones and try and quantize and time correct everything and compress it when it's mm-hmm. all right there at your fingertips. They did simplify themselves out of existence, uh, which I thank them for, but it's going to be interesting. <laughs> I think yeah, it's going to be interesting just kind of seeing what, oh, now this is an old man thing to say, but what the next, or I guess upcoming or current generation of really good drummers does. Because Here's the thing. Jazz still exists, right? Funks, there's still a jazz scene. There's still a funk scene. Um, they're not big scenes, but... It still exists. I will say also, um, these are exceptions, not the rule, but guys like Anderson Pock, mm. uh, who is a who is a drummer first and foremost himself, uh, in addition to being a, a, a rapper, he plays real drums on all his tracks. And I can see the world from here. They ask me where I'm going from here. Shit anywhere, long as the runway is clear. Shit, music business moving too fast for me. Wishing I still had Matt with me. Yes, Unquantized, imperfect rhythms. He he tries to keep things organic um, in ways that I appreciate. Uh, there's still a place for that in in some corners of hip hop. Certainly, some folks like their live music to have more of that sort of like funked up feel. Mm-hmm. 
great drummers uh, get the chance to show off a little bit more when they're when they're performing live. So, you know, it's it's not all lost, and and um, maybe they don't all have to just die right now, Matt. But uh, <laughs> but it is definitely a tougher spot than it used to be because of the rise of programming and because of the ease of quantizing. Um, which, uh, for those playing along at home, if you don't know, that's that's basically just the ability to tell a software to line every beat up perfectly with a metronome um, with the click of a button, uh, so that every every note can just be perfectly aligned with the beat. Um, that makes it so that you just don't need to call a drummer into a studio and the listening public is none the wiser. That's absolutely true. And I guess, Tim, here is my final sort of hope for humanity thought, hope for the consumer thought. Um, the human brain... The, hu- yeah. the human brain... Uh, can unconsciously tell the difference between a drum track that is live and like almost perfect and one that is mm-hmm. that is absolutely snapped to the grid every 30 second note is is there right yeah and yeah. what that does when you when you time align everything perfectly and you and you it's just polished and crystal clear uh-huh. does take some or a lot of the soul out of the song uh-huh. and this is not something I'm going to be waving a flag for but I do think that I mean my hope of course is that there still is room and employment for real and really good drummers because mm-hmm. that is the kind of stuff that makes a song breathe and makes it vibe and makes it actually feel like it's uh, a human piece of art. So, I don't know. I just, I hope that the old guys don't all die that soon. And I hope that the <laughs> new or newer up-and-comers just uh-huh. get in that studio and just go wild, man. Like, cause drums, it matters a lot to the how a song uh, feels, how it breathes, how it exists. And um, if that costs a few more thousand dollars of your label's budget to get all that stuff together, I don't know. Take the risk. Go for it. Ear Buddies will continue in a moment.
Folks, this episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by Nabisco. But before we get to that, Matt and I uh, need to sincerely, well, we need to step back and we need to say that we're sorry. I need to say that I'm sorry. Um, I did something really wrong last week. Matt? Yeah. Last week on Ear Buddies, when I munched that cookie, I, without even, without realizing it, I crossed a picket line. Mm. I became a scab. Yep. I slapped the face of unionized workers in five states. Workers who just want an ethical workplace. They just want Nabisco to restore their pension plans. They just want to retire comfortably. And what did I do? I took a big old bite of a cookie in the middle of an episode of Ear Buddies. And not only a cookie, but an Oreo. An Oreo cookie. A double stuff. Cookie. An, a double stuff Oreo cookie. Mm-hmm. I, I, just it was, to, I just need to say that it was a mistake and I stand with the workers uh, of bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers union in Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Oregon, and Virginia. I yep. um, no contract, no snacks. I'm sorry. Well put, Tim. Yep. I mean, uh, you know it. It wasn't my fault personally, but this is our podcast, and. Uh, what happened well yeah you could have you could have stopped me well no and that's that's listen that's what i'm saying because i like we discussed recently we do have an obligation to call each other out that's right uh what you know whenever the the error happens and i should have done that um i didn't because i thought it was funny and i i guess i just wasn't aware Matt, a lot of people thought it was funny well, you should not, see my texts. <laughs> not, not the workers of Nabisco and Tobacco Industries and Farmers or you know that union. I think, look, no, it was it was tasteless. Not the cookie. I'm sure the the Matt the cookie was delicious. I'm sure it was. The bit was tasteless, uh, and we the cream filling. <laughs> was fantastic, and the cho- and, how- and the ch- and the two chocolate cookies surrounding it were crunchy, and the cocoa was real as always. Well, that's the thing with Nabisco, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> the thing about Nabisco, Matt, and this is and and this is what we and this is what we must say. 
uh, is that since 1898, the National Biscuit Company has been manufacturing cookies and snacks with pride, dignity, grace, and joy. Uh, And ever since William H. Moore and Adolphus Green started American Biscuit and uh, cooked up those Fig Newtons, those wafers, those Oreos, those animal crackers, well, they knew they were onto something special. And boy, Matt. They really were. They really were. I mean, look, for us, for you and me personally, Tim, but also I, I would imagine for most of our audience, Nabisco is the last word in snack food that you buy right before you leave the supermarket. Right? I mean, that, they have cornered the market in a way that is, I mean, it's as close to the American dream. Yes! As we can even praise on this podcast. Because, and of when course, you say, Tim... When you say corner of the market, I mean, it's literally in the corner <laughs> of the market. I, it's, it's right there. I mean, there are displays on what seem like every corner. Of my supermarket. Stacks, stacks, and stacks. Stacks and stacks. Uh and And what are and what are we to do, Matt, when they're always on sale? And they're always coming out with these incredible new uh, products and flavors. I mean, they've got Halloween Oreos. They got the Lady Gaga Chromatica Oreos. <laughs> they probably got Ritz crackers that taste like Mountain Dew. Probably by now, they've got you know Fig Newtons that are filled with like uh, I don't know caviar. I assume <laughs> they are innovating. They are pushing the envelope and. Look, if it takes, mm. sorry to raise my voice. It's okay. If it if it takes twelve hour workdays, twelve hour workdays, a few thousand employees not being able to see their families that night. Um, yeah. Then that's what it takes. All right. Then that's what it takes. Like, give me that Chromatica Oreo. And this is so hard, right? It's so... I'm not a lawyer, Matt. I... I'm just... A, You're a drummer. I'm You're a, a drummer. drummer. I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm just... <laughs> worse than that, I'm just a podcaster now. I'm just... I, I don't even know uh, my right foot from my left at this point. But what I do know is that that cookie last week, I'm still thinking about it. Still thinking about how it tasted, and it tasted really good. The members of the union in Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Oregon, and Virginia. Look, I want a pension, too. Well, yeah. Right? Uh, Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but look, I don't work in a cookie factory. I mean, there must be some there must be some perks, right? 
you work in a cookie factory, like right, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> you must it get to. Prob- <laughs> I assume you get to eat cookies. You probably can grab a couple of them <laughs> off the line, like, like Lucille like Ball. Lucy, right? Yeah, you can. Probably- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's gotta be good, right? And it probably smells. You know, you it go probably home. Smells great. You go home. When you go home, whether that's at 2 a.m. or, you know, in 48 hours, and you see your family and you smell like a bakery, I mean, that's that's a good memory for your kids, is it not? Exactly, right. In You know, in 20 years, and it, in 20 years, and is the, your, is that, your son is going to say, Dad always smelled like Oreos. There we go. That's exactly it. And my question is, is that not enough for you? Is it really all about? money and quality of life for you the worker uh because that's not my america if it is about the money for you and the quality of life then hey maybe you picked the wrong job because what you were doing is working for the american people and i guess global affiliates and conglomerates and you should have known that when you signed on and a lot of people have it worse than you. Think about Amazon employees, okay? Uh, I mean, well, I guess they're striking too. But you, <laughs> Nabisco employees, maybe count your blessings. You get a you get to bake delicious confections all day and come home smelling like a bakery. How bad can that be? Don't take this out on your bosses. Okay? That's that's me. That's that's where I land on this. It's Nabisco. The makers of Chips Ahoy, Oreos, Ritz Crackers, Teddy Grahams, Triscuits, Wheat Thins, and more. We love them. We support them. And we would never, except for that one time, cross the picket line. No contract, no snacks. But, on the other hand, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. (laughs) Nabisco. Welcome back to Ear Buddies, where everything's made up and the segments don't matter. Hey, pal. Hey, pal. We are doing another new segment, but actually, you know what? The segments do matter. This is our most important segment yet, bud. Uh, say more. Uh, we are about to introduce a segment. Uh, it's an ode to the late, great... Legendary broadcaster, I call him El Rushbo, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> we call this segment, See, I Told You So. Um, look it up. Ever, just look it up. Uh, in this segment, we've, we revisit a topic that we've already discussed, and we just point to it and say look guys we warned you we warned you about this and we and 
and we just kind of yell. Yeah, okay, Tim. <laughs> Look, yeah. as as always, when you pitch a new segment, uh-huh. I'm always going to be there for you. Um, but this one in particular, uh-huh. I'm very excited about because as the I don't what twenty to thirty people who follow our Twitter account, uh-huh. Ear Buddies underscore Pod. As they know, Ear Buddies is literally always at least two to three weeks ahead of the curve. Is this frustrating for us? Of yes. course it is. Yes. Is this, does this feel like maybe iHeart should pick us up or somebody should monetize this thing? Yeah. 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 Uh, but we are not going to take this time or or uh, use our platform to complain. Right. But that's, we, that's a matter for uh, to be handled offline. The right. courts, right. Exactly. Uh, but I love this, Tim, because if I assume this will be a recurring segment. Um, oh, you know it will be, bro. And I would love to start off with whatever you have in mind. And let's just yell at some people or corporations that have upset us. All right. Well, we have two episodes that we're going to revisit and mash together in the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, Our Olivia Rodrigo app and our Interpolation app, bud. Two of our best. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Ah, There's a lot of good ones, but I like those two. Okay, remember this song? Of course you remember this song. I do, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, remember how everybody joked right when it came out that it sounded a lot like Misery Business? Tim, if I recall correctly, I feel like I even brought that up. You did. In fact, your show and tell was a, a YouTuber's mashup of yes, the two. Yes, okay, yes. Then I do remember. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, here's what happened. The other day, Haley Williams on Instagram posted that uh, their publisher, Warner Chapel Music, is wildin' right now. Uh, Because uh, they uh, are now credited as co-writers. When I say they, I mean Haley Williams and Josh Farrow, another member of Paramore, are credited as co-writers of... Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo, which is now number one 
on the top 40 charts. Tim. Yep. Permission to freak out. Bro, freak away. We told you so. We warned you about See? this. We told this you is, so. This is lit. Up, go. How? This is the worst uh, thing I can imagine. It's the most egregious example of interpolation and copyright law being uh, manipulated and fudged and taken advantage of that I have ever heard of. Because, look, if I may, Tim, quickly here. Yeah. Uh, I want to I wanna just uh, lampshade this and then move past it. Interesting that Haley and Josh are signed to Warner Chapel, which is the second biggest music publishing company in the world. And, hey, guess who signed Olivia Rodrigo mere weeks ago? Hmm. The biggest publishing company in the world, which is Sony Music Publishing. So, that's just something to think about. Too (sighs) much to get into here at an end segment. However... I would like to ask you, Tim, as a yep. real musician and also also phenomenal uh-huh. drummer, as far wow. as I can tell. Thank you. Uh, I would like to ask you, tell me which melodic lines, lyrical content, or honestly, even like chordal rhythmic phrasing you hear between those two songs that would warrant a writing credit for Haley and Josh on Good For You. Okay, right. Um, I can't... P- the- Trick question, bud. There, I can't. There's That's none. right! I'm reading from Variety here. Retroactively added songwriting credits have become increasingly common in recent years as intellectual property lawsuits involving music have become more forensic and yet less predictable particularly Uh, when argued before a jury of ordinary people who are not music experts. As as evidenced by the back and forth with recent lawsuits involving Katy Perry's Dark Horse, Robin Thicke and Pharrell's Blurred Lines, and even Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. While Perry and Led Zeppelin have largely beaten back copyright, copyright infringement lawsuits involving those songs... They can drag on for years and rack up thousands of dollars in legal bills, which is why the path of least resistance is often to settle out of court. Hit songs like Sam Smith's Stay With Me and Mark Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk saw songwriters retroactively added to their credits. The latter song, twice. So what we're doing now is just... It's just insurance. I have a feeling this was just done... Because some viral TikToks were made of those YouTube mashups of Good For You and Misery Business. They got some numbers online and, you know, maybe some threats were made. Like, I I doubt that Haley Williams was like, 
hey, we should get in on this. No, 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 right, right. But also, like you think, you know, her Instagram story. Yeah. She didn't put in the work. Her publisher did. Warner Chapel, her reps chased this down, made it happen. And like, you know, maybe some threats were made or maybe this is a, a an interesting case study in that Olivia who was clearly if you listen to you know whatever that was uh, very savvy she owns her master rights whatever she yep. is very she's very young coming up uh, why not get it out of the way now get it all done and dusted sort it out move on right fine fair however Here's the thing, Tim, and you you just mentioned this, and I want to sort of go off on this just, I guess, as briefly as I possibly can. (laughs) Um, If you play a song to a jury of your peers, most of them, and usually all of them, are not musicians, not real musicians like you and me, Tim. Yeah. And... And you play them two songs side by side, and in their reptilian caveman non-musician <laughs> brains, they think, "Wow, ah, yeah, that sounds that sounds like the same song." Okay, I understand that, and I do. Um, well, I don't respect it, but I I can give it some leeway because I'm not a horrible person, and I do understand that different people have different experiences than I personally do, right? Yeah. Um, so, good for me. But, <laughs> uh-huh. but, as we mentioned, the only things that can be copyrighted in a published song are, yep. say it with me, the, the, Melody, melody and the lyrics. Right. It's right. not chord progressions. It's not chord progressions. It's not even beat. It's not vibe. Right. Or any of that. That's the thing. What we have here is a case of similar vibes. It yes, it is similar vibes. As much as I argued that it was more new wave yeah. than pop punk, which I would still stand by, by the way. <laughs> uh it is Definitely true that it like it's sort of good for you, sort of like feels like yeah, misery business, right? And, like it feels like it. Well, if we're gonna do this, if we're going to do this, then should not like I don't know, shouldn't the Ramones get like ten percent of every punk Every Dude, pop punk song listen ever, I guess. Like, do you know what I mean? Yes, like look. That that was my exact example. Like give Blink One Eighty Two, you know, every, uh, you know, give twenty five percent of every emo band's cut. Yes, know? no, like, because honestly. you're you're using four chords. You're using the same sort of distortion with the guitar. the The beats are not that dissimilar. Sure, and and. Pop, I mean, that's the reason genres exist, is it not? Because stuff sort of sounds like other stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. I am really referring back to all the things that we have said. <laughs> but in pop music, how many chords do we have? How many viable chords really Yeah, like two, are there? man. Like two. 
It's not much. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very narrow corridor to walk down. Mm-hmm. And to say that the vibe is similar and you and you get a credit on that is actually I mean it's oh, baffling. And, and just and it's fifty fifty percent is the report, by the way. Are you ki- what? Did you not know this, bro? Fifty percent. No, I didn't 50% see this. Percent is is the report that uh, that Paramore is getting. Wait, Haley and Josh, uh huh, are getting half of of the publishing split. My jaw has dropped. I am speechless. When we were talking about Olivia's masters, I thought, "Wow, you've got a really good lawyer." Now that we're talking about this, I'm like, "Wow, you have a really bad <laughs> lawyer." Fifty <laughs> percent for a song that kind of sounds like a different song. That's everything, man. That's in, nuts. In Western music, there is so little that you can do, and the further that you subdivide it by genre, there's even less that you can do. We're working with a limited palette. We're working mm-hmm. with four to six chords, if we're being honest. And if I were Haley Williams, and again, let me just do this. I know we said that Haley Williams isn't embarrassing on maybe our first or second episode for the real heads out there. <laughs> Haley and Josh, but mostly Haley. Uh-huh. This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Do not allow this to happen when Warner Chapel comes to you and says, oh, hey, check this out. Olivia and her team said you can have 50% of this hot new song. I would say, uh, I have the kind of artistic integrity that won't allow me to accept that offer. God bless Olivia and uh, talk to you guys soon. Right? Come on. How hard is that? I hate it. I hate it. Feels bad, dude. Feels bad. Hate ending an episode on a bad feeling. We don't usually do this, but... Um, <sighs> no, no, usually usually we're very calm and level-headed yeah. and measured, but every now and then there's something that pops up and it's impossible to ignore and who else is talking about it but your friends at Ear Buddies, Matt and Tim? Or, if you like, Tim and Matt. And Variety.com. <laughs> uh, they do all right. They, they do, do all right. Yeah. yeah. Fine, fine work. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think we'll probably do K-pop and Motown next week. Tim, that's sort of become a tag ending, but I will... Let me just... A brief... Promise what to if our... we what if we did though? What if we did it? Well, look, we're going to. If, this is our contribution to the Marvel What If series. <laughs> no, listen, I've read so much about this. Look, this will be best for everybody because in the last several months that we haven't done this, <laughs> uh, your boy Matt has read more about K-pop and Motown than anyone on Earth. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be ready. We're going to do a three-and-a-half-hour-long episode. We're going to stream it live on Twitch. It's all going to happen. Uh, 
It's going to be great. I, we're going to do it. It's not just a joke. But again, Tim, stuff simply keeps happening. And drummers we die. Gotta you know? it. Yeah. Well, yeah, drummers just drummers just die. <laughs> Talk to you later, buddy. <laughs> Talk to you later, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>